Hello, and welcome to the eTech Podcast with me, your host, Ryan Morn. I have been involved in the development of electrified vehicles and machines since 2005 as an engineer and a business leader. This podcast is the product of my passion for electric and autonomous vehicle technology. I'm here to share knowledge from some of the world's leading experts, as well as my own insights. Join me as we accelerate the transition to cleaner, safer and smarter vehicles and grow the industry around the world. So for today's podcast, we've got something a little bit special. Um, It's a fireside chat uh, between me and uh, a really fascinating guy called Colin Heron. Uh, Colin is one of the UK's leading experts on electric vehicle infrastructure. Uh, He's been a driving force in the electric vehicle scene in the UK, instrumental in uh, in helping to get Nissan to put their leaf production in the UK in his role in the RDA. He's been in the automotive industry for, for many, many years um, and it's absolute pleasure to to get him and uh, have this uh, really interesting conversation about electric vehicles, about charging infrastructure, uh, about trends and what's happening in the industry and where he sees things going. So without further ado, uh, we'll get on to the, the main uh, podcast. If you'd like to introduce yourself, Colin, that would be great. My name is Colin Heron. I'm managing director of a small EV consultancy called Zero Carbon Futures. It's quite unique. It's a wholly owned subsidiary of um, an FE college, Gates of College. And we're a not-for-profit organization and we're basically non-aligned. And where, where did um, Zero Carbon Futures come from? How did that, because it's quite an interesting story in terms of how that came yeah. into existence. The, the, the story started with me because I, um, I used to work for Nissan for 17 years and I was seconded to the regional development agency. And I got, um, I was in charge of automotive, and then I got involved with the negotiations for the Nissan Leaf and the battery plant coming to the UK. Then we were putting the first regional infrastructure in. In essence, Labour lost the election, the Conservatives came in, closed the RDAs. So I had a discussion with Gates at College, they loaned some money, and out of that, uh, seven years ago was born Zero Carbon Futures. So, and, and infrastructure, that was sort of charging... The first infrastructure we put in, because um, back in those days, there was only three seven kilowatt chargers. So we put uh, about 600 points across the whole of the northeast. And then we put one of the first ever 50 kilowatt chargers in. And we put 12 in essence. So we we did the first regional network of uh, rubber chargers. And and that, um, that sort of charging infrastructure side of things that's really that's become the main sort of operational thing that you do now well it was right. but what happened we put in all of Egotricity's electric highway then we started working with four of the big ev companies volkswagen bmw renault nissan mm. and we did a european project putting more in but what actually happened was we started to research what other people were doing the car companies etc looking into what was being said And because we're neutral, we started to pick up contracts with cities. And the big thing with cities is the amount of information and social media and press, which is misleading, is tremendous. And what we found was they simply wanted an honest broker to talk to them and somebody to advise on what buses are coming, what trucks are coming, what vehicles, how many, in what quantities, 
where to put charge points, what is consumer behavior. So we still do put infrastructure in, but our main focus now is actually as a consulting body facilitating cities to adapt. Wow. It's quite incredible, really, that that's part of an FE college as a, you know, that's, that's sort of the whole history behind that and how it's got to where it's got to is uh, yeah. it's fascinating. Well, <laughs> Probably in unique, essence, I would say. In yeah. essence, Gateshead College is, if you take the extreme, we've now been commissioned by Sadiq Khan. So we're advising London's EV strategy to 2025. Right. So for a college in Gateshead to be advising Sadiq Khan on his strategy and the deputy mayor's, as I was in London yesterday, is, is quite, a, quite a journey. And, and do you think that's, because Gateshead still has quite a close tie-up with Nissan, and the, it's all sort of in It has, but the, Nissan has become a training provider under the new regulations. Right. So there's still a relationship, but I don't, I'm not sure it's as strong as it used to be. So it's, it's fairly safe to say then that you're probably one of the, um, a, 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 an expert authority in terms of charging infrastructure and kind of EV deployment and things like that in the UK? <laughs> He's blushing now. <laughs> People keep saying that. I, I yes, I get. We get asked to do lots of talks. We've just been commissioned by Manchester, Sheffield. We're working with Cardiff, and we work with other authorities and airports around the world, because, in, in short, there is so much misinformation out there, mm. and, you know, the numbers of EVs that will be on the road by 2020. You know, 13 million, 3 million, 6 million. That lots of people are really confused. And yeah. one of the sympathies I have, in each local council, there is one person sitting at a desk, overnight becomes the EV adoption expert. Right, yeah. And they need help. Do you find, is it getting better in terms of like, people, you know, I, I can remember, so we, we worked on a project with you guys yeah. way, way back under the RDA which was um, to look at EV adoption and, you know, people still talked about milk floats a lot. Yes. And there was this sort of perception about EVs all be just basically being a little bit rubbish. And uh, I, I don't hear the milk float thing as much anymore. No, but there was a study very recently where 52% of the people questioned didn't think an EV could go through a car wash. Right, okay. So we still, one of the problems <laughs> is it's, it's a fallback. So when you say to people, why won't you buy an EV? They cost too much, there's no infrastructure, and they don't go very far. Yeah. There's a six-month waiting list for every EV. They do go quite a long way now, and there's so much infrastructure, it's underutilised. Yeah. Do you, I mean, there's been some massive... Like, the infrastructure business... Uh, I just yesterday was hearing about uh, ChargePoint and their plans to put in like millions of new charge points yeah. and then we had the big thing with shell uh, bp sorry taking over charge, charge master. master shell have invested in a what what are the what's the sort of big activity going on at the minute in the infrastructure world land grab right okay <laughs> in essence the first things that you need is land yeah so if if you look at the center of a city there's petrol stations there yeah but finding a patch of land the same size there's a petrol station in a city to put 10 rapid chargers is a challenge, Yeah. quite frankly. So everybody's looking at inventive ways of releasing land. So they're talking to landowners like the network rail, yeah. people who own land to treat if they can repurpose it for another use. So a lot of what's going on is land grab. Yeah. The second one, which I believe is shareholder appeasement. Right, okay. So you mean companies trying to basically um, 
appear to be doing the right thing that could be what potentially yes not so for little cost yeah people are buying into the ev market yeah yeah still i do wonder because the the dynamic is going to change in terms of like these the oil companies are they have all their, their sort of oil exploration and digging it out of the ground but then actually shell and bp have got massive retail businesses and that that retail dynamic is going to change because you don't you don't have to go to a petrol forecourt to get petrol or diesel anymore you can plug in yes pretty much wherever you want so you know that the, the i almost rather than the oil production side of their business being under threat I, I do wonder how much of it's connected to the retail arm of their business being under threat because they, they're essentially their their fuel stations could become obsolete if everyone's plugged into a three kilowatt point when they're at work you know in the car park at their office you never need to go near a you petrol station again no so we're watching the dynamic of the the oil companies losing their market share mm. We've also got the electric companies thinking this is our business, we should be in it. We've got the car companies like the Ionity system thinking, well, we can sell electricity, why don't we do it? And then you've got other groups like the water utilities and other people saying, why don't we do it? And people like uh, Transport for London have got their own power grid. Could we sell it? So the market itself, and I think this is going to be tremendous MBA territory for right. the next five or six years the people who are coming in the marketplace are saying well i've got the land yeah i can buy the charger why yeah. don't i just sell it yeah yeah the barrier to entry is potentially quite low if if you've got the land and and, and of course the grid connection that's the other big um, sort of obstacle isn't exactly it, so national grid are getting interested you've got the dnos are interested and you've got new models coming out so for instance if you have a bus depot and you charge the buses overnight, mm. the bus step was empty during the day. Yeah. And all those charges are doing nothing. Yeah. So there's other people thinking laterally of there's another business model here. Yeah. So the bus company could Got sell it. electricity to a fleet company. Got it. And do you, do you think, because I, I had a, uh, I was talking to a guy, where were they? We, who owned an EV anyway, and he was basically complaining about the relatively high cost of getting electricity through the sort of pay to charge mm. type systems compared to essentially what he pays for his electricity yeah. at home and and i hadn't really thought about that before and he was he was basically saying to me you'd have to be mad or not have a, a, the ability to charge at home to charge on the paid for charge sort of uh, public infrastructure yeah. compared to charging at home i mean is that a I'd never ever heard anyone say that before. This was like two weeks ago, so yeah. it was a new thing. I don't know if that's a real... One of the, one of the problems we've got is uh, a rapid charger to yeah. install is forty to £50,000. Wow, okay. Right? And nobody wants to pay for the electricity. Yeah. So yeah. It's, it's a loss-making business. Yeah. So when you actually work out on the number of EVs, the number of rapid chargers, mm. how much it would cost with the maintenance costs, etc., it's quite a lot per kilowatt hour. Yeah. Companies like Egotricity are now saying, okay, so if you take your domestic electricity from me, I'll reduce your rapid charge price to the same as your domestic. Yeah, yeah. So we've now got um, E.ON and E.D.F. all starting to say, right, so we've got, there's a chance that we could lose our domestic market 
to EV owners because these new markets are opening. So yeah. they're starting to offer rates. So there's a plethora of rates yeah. and the one that, it's becoming a little bit like your train ticket. Okay. So you turn up in Newcastle That's this probably morning, not a good thing, right? you no. want to buy a, a train to <laughs> London, it's £135. Yeah. I'm going down in a couple, so if you are driving somewhere mm. and you desperately want to charge. Right, yeah. You're going to pay the premium. Yes, but what we're seeing is people are paying the premium as you do on the motorway. Yeah. Just to get you as far as you want, then you go to the local spa. Yeah. Yeah, and I guess people do that now with, with yeah. petrol and diesel. So yeah. uh, particularly uh, some of the guys who work at Avid do make me laugh because they're very uh, hawkish in terms of uh, like five pounds in the motorway yeah. services. And then you know, if you're listening, you know who you are. And then they go and fill up at the uh, local Tesco's yeah. or whatever. Um, which may, I mean, it makes sense because it's, it's money in your pocket at the end well, of the, the day. The, the government, to be quite frank, did make a bit of a mistake on the, this incentive. Because mm. in Newcastle, you get free, it was free parking, free electric. Yeah. And they're, they're rolling back the free parking thing, aren't well, they? I saw something about correct, that. Correct, because if, mm. in the zone around the central station, yeah. you would get hybrids appear at six o'clock yeah. while the driver got the train to London, Yeah, come back at eight o'clock at night. Yeah, and the car's been there all day, and they say fifteen quid parking. No, so that well, there's two things that I've got to say. For, like I, um, I don't know if I'm daft or what. I always pay for my parking, so when I park in Newcastle in on a charge point, I actually pay for the parking as well, which I know I don't have to do at the moment, but I just sort of do do that because I feel like it's a bit wrong that I'm kind yeah. of not. So, so charge point blocking—that's a big thing. So, and and. Like we have this here, so we've got charge points here, they're seven kilowatts. Mm. Um, and we're, I'm wondering about the next charge points we put in, whether or not actually that's too big. Because most of the time the cars are sitting, so like the train station is a really good example. You have probably parked the car there for hour, you know, hours, you know, yes. five, six, seven, all day. I mean, the airport's the other one where they've got the, the sort of relatively high power charge points in the airport car park, and you're going to be on those for days. Yes. Would we actually be better with more three kilowatt? points like go right to the other end but just loads of them it's interesting like we've, measles we've, we've been with the tfl contract we've run three workshops and mm. we're inviting all sorts of people and uh, forums and we ask the question of who wants them where do they want them where they get the energy etc and everybody says we need to put lots of three sevens at supermarkets i said well hang on my car's now got a 130 mile range mm. Yeah. Most people's supermarket is within two miles. Yeah, yeah. If I plug it on for an hour, I get 12 miles range. Yeah. And I've also got to take the cable out. Yeah. Then I've got to unplug it and put the cable back before I put the shopping in for 12 miles. So one of the questions we're <laughs> you know. You're going to be bothered. Is my wife really going to do that? Am I going to do that? Yeah. No. yeah. So one of the things we're saying is, well, if Sainsbury's had 15 rapids. Yeah. And you put it on for an hour. Mm. And you did your shopping, you might do that. So the the problem we have is not a problem until the people who buy the electric vehicles don't have a drive. Yeah. So most of the people you have a look at who have an electric vehicle on there, they've yeah. got a drive. They've got some means of charging it. Yeah. Because there's not a rapid in Newcastle at the moment, but we're still buying the things. Yeah. So it's not a problem. So what one of the things with the TFL, and we'll work through this methodology, is people say, supermarkets. Yeah. Well, where's your nearest supermarket? Oh, it's two miles away. 
Yeah, yeah I, you know, I saw again the other day for the first time someone talking about charge rates, yeah, and this this might it might just be I've missed this completely, but they we're talking about charge rates in terms of miles per hour, and I thought that's a really smart because everyone gets obsessed with well, it takes ten hours to fill the battery up. It's insane. Yeah. Whereas actually, it's more like well, yeah, but how many how many miles that takes ten hours to fill that battery because it's massive. But how many miles is that? Well, it's 400 miles. Okay, well, you only need to do that like once every two yeah, weeks or something. There is this, um, another one which I get really upset about is, the f it's the free, when we all plug in at 6 p.m. <laughs> to which I point out, if we all went to the petrol station every night at 6 p.m., you'd have 3,500 cars per petrol station and the system would collapse. Yeah. I, I'm beyond why people think that if they've got a, 15 mile commute in 200 mile range why every night they'll plug in do you know why I, I, I think I think I know why I think it's because they're so used to plugging their mobile phone in every night well, and well, they can't detach in their head that there's a difference between how a mobile phone performs and how this massively different battery in a car performs the only difference is <laughs> when, when you're paying for a very expensive battery and the handbook says do not keep it at 100% full or you'll damage your battery Yeah. I think the main goes between oh I may damage a £5,000 battery <laughs> as opposed to a phone yeah yeah it's definitely I mean I, I know I hold on to this as well because it's, it's once I dine out on this story I do know a guy again if he's listening he knows who he is who has an electric car he's on his second one now and it, I, it, strangely, he does have a driveway. I think he just basically couldn't be bothered to install a charge point at home. Yeah, he gets by. Like he, he's got, uh, he had Zoe. He's got a second generation Zoe, and um, you know what? He, he he manages with public infrastructure as it is. It's not a major inconvenience. He charges up when he goes swimming. He yeah. charges up when he goes, you know, and it, he might charge his car once a week, and that's that's the real big. It's not an everyday thing, and I think a lot of people think it's an everyday thing. When I had the 24 kilowatt, mm. it was slightly different. Yeah. But at the moment, if we look out the window, you can see my leaf. Y yeah. Is that a nice white... Um, that's a nice... Well, it's a dirty white, dirty 30 white kilowatt leaf. hour, yeah. and yeah. it's not on your charge points. Yeah, that's true, yeah, yeah. Because it's full. Yeah. And Do you charge it up every night, or...? No, no, no. no it's been... It, at the weekend, um, we did a sortie up to Embleton round and came back. So, um, no, I didn't charge it then. So I charged it last night because yeah. I've been away. Yeah. And it'll get charged again probably, this is Thursday, probably on Monday. So the, that drive from um, where you live up to sort of Embleton and out into Northumberland, um, that's quite a decent drive there. It it's is. Uh, and on the 24, this is where the, the question about normalised behaviour, when I had the 24 kilowatt, yeah. I could get about 86 miles. Right. And you knew where you could get to and back. <laughs> yeah, right? yeah. And if somebody in the car said, oh, let's go here, you go, oh, hang on. Mm. <laughs> There's a rapid over there. Yeah. But even the difference between so uh, range anxiety, yeah, <laughs> between eighty-six and one hundred and thirty mile range, yeah, is completely different. Right. So I can get the Lake District in that quite comfortably now, with just a thirty kilowatt hour, yeah. and of course you've got the new forty, 40 and, and the, the 60. sixty. Well, so if I have the forty, which I will get next year, it, it's a different lifestyle. Yeah, you know, you just don't even have to think about no, I don't charging no. anymore. No, and the, I mean the. So I, I'd, I'd had thought for a while that these basically 60 for most people for an average car. So and Tesla's a bit different because they're big cars anyway. Yeah. So but a normal car, um, 
a 60 kilowatt hour probably does that's 240 miles 99 percent of what most people do all the oh, time yeah. you know and if in, in a lot of cases maybe a bit too big which you could be proving there if you're 30s well that's one of, the, one of the questions that i i've spoke to some of the nissan people and they've said they actually think 40 will be the normal and is this where you get into potential because at the moment one of the things people talk about a lot is vehicle to grid but with the, with the old cars, with the 24 kilowatt car, it was impossible to imagine how that could work because yeah. you needed all the power in the car with the 30. But is that maybe where vehicle to grid comes in? Because if you had a 60 in the car, you're going to have quite a bit of overhead in your battery that oh, could then be used. You are. Yeah. I mean, the feed-in tariffs have to change because at the moment the feed-in tariffs four pence, right? It's 16 pence at home, so I'm going to lose 12 pence per kilowatt hour every kilowatt hour I give to the grid right, so you don't and I've got to buy the interface hardware <laughs> yeah, you know? yeah. And so that's only going to work if an aggregator signs me up yeah. and says it might get used it might not but the grid will pay you £100 a year just in case it does Yeah. alright fair enough if an aggregator wants to do all my electric that way Yeah. but I don't think I, that was, when I was down at uh, Millbrook last week there was a V2G domestic unit Yeah. £9,000 that's quite uh, that's quite pricey. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and then I lose twelve pence per kilowatt hour at the moment. Yeah, mm. you, maybe you only would do that, I guess, if you had s solar. And you could, I don't know. If you could, if, oh, yeah, yeah, difficult, difficult. Five thousand yeah. for solar, nine thousand for the interface, and yeah, it's quite. We we were we were we were a little bit sore about losing a V V to G uh, development contract. Maybe uh, maybe it's not such a problem. Uh, <laughs> it's got to be mass aggregators, and to be honest, where I live, I, I'm on an estate of about 500 houses. Everybody's got to drive, yeah. And I have the EV, yeah. And I've had the EV for five years. <laughs> so there's quite a bit of room for more well, EVs. Well, part of the problem is, and I, I'm often seen on LinkedIn on this. If you want to buy a BEV now, mm. it's at least an eight-month waiting list. Yeah, this, this seems to be. It does, it's interesting, a lot of people talking about, well, and it haven't really taken off, but it does seem to be capacity constrained it's right now. It's completely capacity constrained. Yeah. We certainly found that ordering company cars and, and th even going back in the last year, we mm. you, six month waits, nine month waits, indeterminate waits, depending on what car you want. Well, there's a lady contacted me and she, she bought a Hyundai Ionic in January. Yeah. She hasn't got it yet. Yeah. Yeah. I, think, I, I hear that as a fairly common. And he, you know, even for Leafs and things, it's still... Leaf is February, yeah. if you order now. Long waits. Yeah. be interesting to see how that pans out. I, I was expecting a massive inrush with the Hyundai Kona, but he, the volumes that they're planning to send to Europe are tiny, really. Yeah, I, I also heard that there's um, a main GLR dealer going to get seven IPs. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah so we're not going to... It's not going to be a massive flood onto the no. market. Still. There are there is a lot of battery capacity being built on mainland Europe at the moment. Yeah. And if you took an average fifty kilowatt hour battery, it comes to about two million vehicles. Yeah. But that's by twenty twenty four. Yeah. So I think and I've been talking to people that there's there's going to be a problem for the next three years. Yeah. Because there's an awful lot of diesels to get rid of. And yeah. it'll be heavily discounted yeah, before yeah. they'll switch into more capacity. Yeah, it's going to be interesting to see what the manufacturers do. Um, one of the things that's always, on, the, on just on the infrastructure side again, 
like sort of, I don't know if it's a myth or I, I always argue against this, but you get a lot of people saying, oh, the grid will collapse and we couldn't cope with, mm. you know, the, the, there's all these problems with the grid. And there's, there's some interesting solutions on that with, on the, you know, you mentioned battery capacity, people building battery plants. And there's sort of these concepts where they're using battery packs to locally store power yeah. for, you know, do you see there being a, it, like, is there a real grid issue on the ground? Is what what are people doing to fix that? National Grid have been absolutely clear that they have their what they call their two degree scenario, mm. which is in thir- when there's thirty four million electric vehicles. Yeah, everybody, everybody plugs in at six p.m. when the beast from the east four hits us in February one year. Yeah, so that could happen. Yeah, but it's not going to happen. Yeah. So what they've said is, at the moment, our electricity use is going down year by year by year. Because of efficiencies, efficiencies. with lighting and... Yeah. But they maintain the overall capacity. Yeah. So at night, we've actually got shed loads of power. Yeah. And most people are going to charge at night. <clears throat> Where we have got a challenge is localised grid overload. Right. Okay. Not cost our money. So what all the DNOs are doing is doing hotspots. Okay. But they're doing inverse, they're doing cold spots. Right, what's a cold spot? A cold spot work? is where there's actually lots of capacity. Okay. And that's where we should be putting hubs for people to go to. Right, right. So there are cold spots and there's substations with enormous amount of free. But the problem is the way the system works now is, if it was me and you, we'd go and buy a plot of land and yeah. ask for a price connection. Yeah. Which they would give us. Yeah. What they don't say is, if you could find a bit of land over there, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. it won't cost you the million pound for the upgrade. There's loads of electricity. Yeah, it's a very, and of course there are. I mean, this the industrial part that we're on is an old factory that's been split into different units. Yeah. And we've got an enormous substation for the size of... Uh, I mean, we've basically got a private substation for the outfit business, uh, yeah. which is ma- massively underutilised. So I guess those old assets are out there. Apparently there's three... I, I spoke to an um, EV director from National Grid and he said he's got about 300 substations with loads of power. Right, yeah. It'd be interesting to see... It'd be interesting to see what they do do and, and whether or not this sort of local battery sort of grid reinforcement things do start to become more common. But there's a challenge. Every battery that goes into battery storage is one less vehicle. Right. So in terms of the competing priorities the competing for the priorities. battery capacity. Yeah. Yeah. The I know. Um, so the battery kind of second life is is a is a thing. But from what I can gather of that, the problem is basically the batteries are too good. So there's insufficient batteries coming out in the second life. Yeah. Mine's guaranteed for ten years. Yeah. Yeah. And then one of the things I'm I'm I mean I'm a mechanical engineer. I've been I'm talking to the chemists now they talk about a degradation of the battery if it's linear mm. from a 60 kilowatt and you lose 10 percent and you lose six kilowatts yeah that's not a problem yeah it is on a 24 kilowatt but apparently it's not it's a internal cancer type description right. it gets beyond a point then it accelerates and the battery dies yeah so i'm trying to get my head around this a bit it's called dendrites i believe yeah, dendrite growth. Okay, mm. on the yeah, that's on the lithium plate. On the lithium plate, and that can be quite bad actually. That's um, so. I guess they pull them out. So probably when they're broke, they're really broke, 
and they can't be used for second life maybe but it just yes. is taking much longer to get to that point than and the uh, whole thing about the rapid charging is linked into this damage yeah on the movement so when we say it's a fifth one of the things i have to educate people with is a if you go to a petrol station a petrol pump is just a linear delivery yeah a car determines the power it takes yeah and the first 30 minutes is 80 percent yeah the next 10 percent is 30 minutes because it has and there's a thing there with a something to do with the chemistry of the cell and then also to do with the balancing yeah. system the battery management balancing cells out and it can yeah it's uh we do i think there's been some misunderstandings on a few car launches recently about um, the charging rate the people haven't understood the rate at which the car can charge at is different yeah. so if you say you can plug into a 100 kilowatt charger that's different to saying it can charge at 100 kilowatts because the car might say i only want 60 kilowatts because yes. that's all i can deal with you know and well, the 10, only want 60 for 10 minutes yeah then i'm going to ease off because the amps drop off quite dramatically do you think I mean, with rapid charging that is a problem that you're basically better off not rapid charging your car from a battery life point of view so is that do, do you see people trying to do more of that or less of that or we are in the we don't know hmm. there are there is a famous taxi company in cornwall right does nothing but rapid charge okay and it's done about 160,000 miles and it's a 24 kilowatt hour and they're still running it and they haven't broken it yet they haven't okay. broken it yet so uh. we don't know uh, we, there is the fabled solid-state battery. Yeah, which there's a few kind of coming. And some say we've got them. And I spoke to the um, chief scientist of the Faraday Institution, and he said, 10 years. I did a podcast on, on bat battery cells uh, a while ago, and it, it, we, there's solid-state, and there's solid-state, and there's the current. And it, I think some of what's been announced as solid-state aren't what sort of uh, pure sort of cell guys would actually class as solid state so there's a bit of um, clever marketing going on around some of the near to market yes they're not really true ceramic solid state batteries they're kind of uh, the, the electrolyte is a polymer or it, they're, they're basically diff different so the, but diff interesting new technology to get past the, the quite volatile and sometimes dangerous electrolytes <coughs> I think there'd be the, the area we haven't touched on at the moment, <coughs> excuse me, is buses and trucks. Yes. Yeah. We don't know. So this is the one, I think the hydrogen debate for passenger cars is gone. But in yeah. trucks and buses, long distance buses and long distance trucks, I'm not sure where we're going. Yeah, it's interesting that we, I mean, we have customers who do both. So we've got customers building fuel cell and you can totally see the sense in that. Yes. It is much more complex and costly than a simple battery system. But yeah, for buses, trucks, m marine, so ships, because mm -hmm. that's, that's a whole other transport vector. Uh, Aeroplanes, of course, as well. There's a lot of electrification happening in aircraft and you know, batteries aren't, you can't, you're not gonna be able to fly from London to Sydney with a b battery pack uh, in an aeroplane anytime soon. So yeah, hydrogen's a really interesting, um, Really interesting topic, but I would, I, I do agree with you that I think that for passenger car, or, or let's say ninety percent of passenger car, yeah. it's it's solving a problem that doesn't really exist anymore. The the efficiency of the conversion from water to yeah. kil, kil, air kilometer is about thirty percent. Yeah. BEV is about seventy eighty percent. Yeah. It's just 
the amount of electricity you have to use for the same benefit is huge. Yeah. Mind in um, one of the really interesting things that's panning out, and, and we're, we're going to do a piece on this um, later, in trucks, has been the sort of little battle that started to happen with Tesla and Daimler on the efficiency and the battery range of the trucks. And Tesla yeah. came out and said, hey, we can go 500 kilometers, I think it was, on a on a, a battery. And the Daimler guy said, no, it's ridiculous, it's impossible. And what, one of the, I think they sort of missed a few interesting things that they were able to do with the fully electric truck. So obviously Tesla started with a kind of basically ground up design for the truck and it's really aerodynamic and it's got loads mm. of sort of special features. <coughs> So it's much more efficient per kilometer than a normal truck. So, But I think the additional costs of a truck amortized mm. over the piece part yeah. might fly. And I think we're going to get into this situation where the chemicals in the raw constituents of the battery yeah. might determine that we have, we decide as a world economy that cars have batteries and trucks and buses have hydrogen because yeah. we just don't have enough cobalt, etc., etc., for the whole lot to be battery. Yeah, okay, I see. I mean, most of it's coming from the Democratic Republic of Congo, which obviously is known for its workers' rights and, and it's not uh, really stable democratic. politics. It's more like, yeah. <laughs> and the yeah. other thing is, which we can't mistake, is uh, there is a country which is rather large called China, which has bought a lot of the rights. So we might yeah. be forced down the hydrogen route to secure supply. Do you see, because a lot of, I mean, some people I know are talking about like alternate battery chemistries coming out, which reduce the kind of rare material content. Mm. I don't know if that's, that's, there's some interesting, if you think where we went with batteries, we had sort of all the molten sodium salt things that were a bit of a nightmare to look after mm. uh, way back. And then lithium's been a bit of a, it's been a revelation but now we've got all these rare chemicals and trying to get to new um, new battery chemistries that take those materials out and move to more available. Um, th there seems to be quite a bit of research in that area. There's a lot of research and yeah. it's a Nobel Prize area. You know, whoever yeah. delivers the five minute charge, 400 miles, totally safe, very cheap battery was going to be a superstar. It doesn't have anything you have to dig out of the ground in yeah. anywhere. Uh, but one of the things hmm. to, we've got to also compare is that if you build a, a gig, what they call a giga plant, a 10 giga plant or whatever, you're talking an awful lot of money. Yeah. An awful lot. So one of the challenges is going to be looking at the overall, you know, it's amortised over the cost of the battery. Yeah. But I'm starting to look at the first trains are appearing as hydrogen to, to replace diesel. Yeah. Then there's hybrid ones. But I still can't see at the moment how a long distance 40 ton truck traveling from Aberdeen to Salisbury yeah. is going to do that on battery. Yeah, it's, it's, um, it's going to be difficult for sure. It is interesting with the battery plants that are being built. You wonder if we might get locked into, so at the minute, a lot of the traditional OEMs are very wed to the capital investment they've made in engine plants. Yes. So then the transition to batteries has been difficult, but then we're gonna end up with the same problem again with battery plants being sort of locked into particular chemistries and things, or do you think, because you know, I mean, you've been around more battery manufacturing plants than. What, Tesla had its own battery plants, Yeah. but they're actually Panasonic. Yeah. Nissan had its own battery plants. 
Yeah. And it... They just sold them, haven't they? Well, just before that, yeah. Renault were going to take Nissan batteries. Right. Then Renault took LG cells yeah. and made their own battery packs. Mm. So Nissan... Or, the way they've explained it is they've got a decommissioned ICE. Yeah. They've got to develop new cars. Mm. They've got to develop new batteries. Yeah. And build battery plants. Yeah. It's too much money. A lot of capital to deploy. Yeah. Huge amount. Yeah. And they're also, from what I've been told, struggling with the number of people who've got the skills to build battery plants. Yeah. Yeah, I can imagine. Wasn't the Nissan thing, is that a joint venture with... That's a joint venture with someone, isn't it? NEC. NEC, that's right. But, but the NEC contract mm. restricted where they could sell them. Right, okay. Yeah. So the, 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 there was a failed buyout, but there's another one underway. And hof, hopefully what that means is Nissan get access to a battery supply yeah. But it's a double-edged sword. Nissan could buy from LG, or they could buy from them, or they yeah. could buy from somebody else. I was wondering about that the other day with the, the potential of the 60-kilowatt-hour leaf, which is using LG cells, cannibalizing sales of the 40-kilowatt-hour one, You know whether or not that might present a problem for some of the, um, the, the packs. I think I, I did hear just... Last week, so there was an announcement with, about BMW, and they were talking about the cattle. So CATL are putting these new plants in, in Germany. You know, okay, that's in, interesting, Chinese building in Germany. But then there's another sort of separate announcement from BMW saying, ah, well, yeah, but they're building product for us to our specification, and it's really... Oh, yes, yeah. Because, no, was, yeah, because one of the vehicles that they announced, whether mm. be Merck or BMW, is actually going to be built mm. in China. Yeah. <laughs> so it's being built in China mm. with the Chinese battery, and there's there's a lot of oh, well the China I mean the Chinese market for EVs is potentially massive, isn't it? But they, it's fifty five percent of the world. Yeah, massive restrictions though on you can't. It's very difficult to sell a car in China without domestic Chinese content. They've also set an interesting rule that if you don't sell 8% EV by volume, you can't sell anything. So sort of like the old, because uh, California tried that, didn't they? Mm. Uh, but get, did they give up on that completely? Or but China's a bit more yeah. in control than California. Yeah, you will do it or yeah. else. Sort of, and it's, uh, but it's also providing a bit of a challenge for Toyota and others. Who don't have an EV. Who don't have an EV. Yeah. So there are joint ventures in China now yeah. where... I think it's Toyota and Mazda or really trying to get something together. Because people don't realise, but when you go to China, you realise quite quickly because uh, you pretty much, one of the first things most Westerners do when they go to China for the first time is get run over or almost run over by an electric moped. Mm. The, the Chinese government just outlawed ICE engines in two-stroke engines in mopeds so that every moped on the road in China is uh, electric. Yeah, uh, but it, it, it's also interesting. I went to the Beijing Electric Car Company and I, I drove one of their cars. Mm -hmm. I don't know if you remember when Proton first arrived in the UK <coughs> with that yeah. old Mitsubishi. Yeah. It was a bit like that. Okay. But interestingly, they sold out. Right, so it's not a great car, but they've well, sold out. Government them. officials all drive one. Yeah. I do think, I mean, with an EV, it does feel like it's easier to make a really nice... I got a taxi the other day, 
and the taxi driver was driving a new Leaf, and he's absolutely over the moon with it. But the interesting thing is he had a Mercedes E-Class before that. So again, I know he listens to these sometimes, so he might be listening mm. to this. And he considered it an upgrade. <laughs> yeah. Mercedes E-Class to a Nissan Pulsar, but he was considering that to be an upgrade. And, you know, he's right. Like, the, the Leaf, the f- new Leaf is so smooth, quiet, like, refined. You'd never... With a an ICE engine, like a, one of those little 1.5 diesels thumping away yeah. under the bonnet, it's quite hard to make I, that... I did. I, a little while ago, I was going to Lake District to a, a remote place. So I, <clears throat> I took Nissan's offer and I swapped the Leaf for a Duke. Right, okay. Oh boy, was I glad to give that back. <laughs> oh, stop-start yeah. technology, yeah. junctions, gears. Yeah. Oh, just have it back. <laughs> but the other, the other thing is, my daughter might listen to this, Emma. She keeps saying to me, Dad... Why are you driving at 30? It's a 50 zone. Yeah. And I said, because I'm just comfortable. I'm listening to the music. There's mm. no noise. Yeah. And what, what I find is I drive slower. Okay. Not not necessarily to save the battery. Yeah. But I just drive slower. And I was told to the guy from British Gas who did a trial with electric vans. And they said they were concerned that accidents would go up. Yeah. Accidents actually went down. Right. Because the drivers were driving in a much calmer manner. Yeah, I guess. And, and they've got... Because um, you've got that really smooth acceleration. You don't have to oh, worry yeah. about gear shifts. So if you go, particularly if you've gone from a manual car to an EV, it's like, yeah. you know, it's, it's, it's chalk and cheese. Yeah, it, well, I, I, just on that, I used to... Um, when I used to work for Nissan, we used to drive automatics and we used to love just flooring it and it would, move off, you know, it would kick in. Yeah. On the Leaf, it is instant. And yeah. last week when I went down to Millbrook, I uh, just hired a car and I got a Insignia. I think it was two litre automatic. Yeah. I came out the service station and I hit to go and it didn't. Yeah. It yeah. was there was this lag. Yeah. Which you don't get with EV. Yeah, it is. It's for, in a, when we're doing a sort of presentation, a conference, whatever. We have these like three trends and this sort of the clean air agenda. Uh, CO2 reduction, climate change agenda, but there's performance, mm. and so many pe- so many people have realised actually we can uh, utilise that torque delivery to make a high performance vehicle. Oh yeah, which is a little bit ironic because of most of what we're trying to do with EVs, but it, it lends itself perfectly to like trucks and buses and off highway machines because they use big thumping diesels that aren't yeah. very powerful, but they're massive engines because they need to give a lot of torque at low well, speed. These series hybrids. Yeah, Fisker's got one, and yeah. the Nissan E E Drive E Drive yeah. is a series hybrid. Yeah, so they're, they're they're using the power straight through. I mean, the traffic lights. I love it when there's there's something black and German next to me, <laughs> and I disappear. Yeah, and they scream past me going through the gears, and I just back off to thirty mile an hour. Yeah, because it inti- irritates them, but they just can't from a standing start compared to to what that does. And that is, so you still get that, because um, I, I, I remember when we first gave cars uh, part of the electric vehicle trials years ago, like all the, all the people who drove them loved them. And, and after, how many years have you been driving an EV now? Uh, five. So you still get that sort of oh, sense yeah. of enjoyment out yeah, of it. Yeah. I do wonder, um, so the sort of Tesla kind of 2.9 second stomach oh, churning the, thing. Same button. Yeah. Whatever called, yeah. Whether that wears off, you know. I think it does. One, it, there's... It still comes in handy, mind. If I'm if I'm at a road junction, mm. I just knock it off eco, and yeah. I don't worry. You know, you you can move. 
But because of where the battery is on that thing, the centre of gravity is really low, and it is quite fun. There, there is a road between Allermouth and Walworth. Yeah, it's lovely and twisty. Yeah, it's great on that <laughs> because you play the game of not breaking. You use the regen <laughs> on yeah. the corners, and when you come to the end of the road, you got more miles than when you went in. Yeah, and I, you do it on the so it becomes a, a a sort of game. Yeah, like going in the time tunnel and coming out with more battery charge than when you went in. You can do that. By sort of regening down regenning the hill. down and taking yeah. it easy coming out. So on long journeys <laughs> on B roads, it's quite fun. Yeah. Hence the new leaf's got one pedal, which I haven't tried yet. But yeah. my colleague has and said it, it's all right. That one pedal driving is... Because the thing with a lot of the current EVs, they were set up to sort of replicate how a petrol or diesel car feels yeah. under coasting. But then the leaf has an option where you can turn a single pedal mode on where... You basically, with the accelerator pedal, accelerate or decelerate using the regen uh, and having very strong regen, yeah. uh, so you kind of maximise that. And uh, yeah, pe people do seem to like it that that go, but it's very very different to yeah. how you would drive a well, normal I've got car. Two regen settings on that. Right. One is much more severe than the other. Yeah. So if I'm on a country lane, yeah. I use the more severe one. Oh right. Okay. So when I'm coming into a corner. Yeah. And I know I'm in B eco. Yeah. I, it it breaks a lot more, so I know what it's doing, right. and I get more power back. So I get about thirty percent regen on that. Oh wow, that's really good. Mm. That's a big. Um, I think uh, again the pub the public sort of perception. A lot of people I think don't realise that one of the big obviously with an EV you've got the transition from burning fuels, which is not massively efficient, to yeah. an electric drivetrain, which is like going from 40 to 50% efficiency to like 90% efficiency. So you've got that improvement. But then you've also got the regen. So you're yeah, recovering yeah. all this energy under braking, which of course, you're not using the brakes as much then. So you don't have to change brake pads and discs as much, which is a big well, advantage the taxi for drivers are finding this. Yeah. You're seriously not going near. When that goes in for a service, it costs mm. me 120 quid and they change the pollen filter. <laughs> right okay that's it. yeah there's nothing else so it's only for your uh, hay fever that you have to worry <laughs> yeah and because the service record says it has to be done yeah yeah that's going to be a big disruption to dealership models and things isn't it in down People the line like quick fit etc no exhaust replacements yeah all this sort of thing it, they're already looking at it's a problem mm. yeah you can see that making a big uh, make a really big impact on the sort of automotive aftermarket yeah. Nobody knows it's. I'll use it only once. The Brexit word. Mm, okay. Nobody knows <laughs> what's going to happen for the next ten years. Yeah. And to be honest, with this technology and driving habits and new economic models and new people coming in, yeah. nobody knows where this is going. You know, I, I say I've been in the car industry forty-five years. Yeah. And now it's getting interesting. So on that, and I know you've got some interesting views on this, and we've probably we need to wrap up soon but I would do want to ask you what you think about autonomous vehicles because that's going to be another big impact uh, on I can sum this up quite easy okay as I did with um, a guy down in London yesterday I love Amsterdam okay I like the center of Amsterdam yeah it has canals yeah it has trams yeah it has half a million tourists and half a million bikes yeah if anybody can show me level five autonomy operating in the center of Amsterdam, I'll believe it. Okay, so for all the autonomous uh, <laughs> platform makers out there, there's a challenge. But, <laughs> yeah. Let me see that happen. In the middle of Amsterdam, in the summer peak time, 
Yeah. So you, you basically, from that, I guess you, you think it's still some way off being uh, ready for market or potentially never ready for market? I think, and I was just, com- there's just companies today spending billions on it. I think it is a great engineer's play thing. Right, yeah. Okay. And everybody wants to prove it'll work. Yeah. But I think there are complexities and the Americans won't give up their gun yeah they won't give up the diesel mm. and then tell them they're going to give up the gun the diesel and their right to drive the steering wheel yeah <laughs> <laughs> yeah give up your steering wheel yeah your gun and your diesel and you're going to drive an electric car which you've got no control over at 30 mile an hour yeah constitutional right to something or other yeah it'd be interesting not to, to see. mention the french unions when you tell all their lorry drivers and all the others they haven't got a job yeah I mean, on, yeah, I do. Th- I think there's another problem coming where, I mean, every, every industry has skill shortages and whether or not this goes some way to sort of solving that problem. We've got this sort of generally aging population in the developed world, shrinking workforces. And I don't know, it, it's it's a it's it's a com- we're not going to answer it today. There's an interesting uh, question. And I think we're getting to the point where uh, the human race as we are have been driven by corporate culture and technology and at some point a little bit like the scene in iRobot when they just say whoa hang on I'm the boss yeah I'm the boss I want to drive this thing and I want to drive it this way yeah and there's various things in life where we're being completely controlled and I think at some point people will say I don't want this yeah I, I, yeah, I get that I guess the I mean you've got sort of people who uh, we are one of the things I do think is we we like you and I because we live in the north of England we're blessed with mm. relatively short commute times and when I go and any I mean I was in Michigan the other week oh man even Michigan traffic and then Californian traffic yeah. is something else and if you're sort of in a position where you've got to spend an hour two hours a day in your car at the minute uh, it's funny so we're doing a podcast podcasts have really taken off because people listen to them when they're commuting because they don't have their eyes, you've got to watch what you're doing, right? So you listen to a podcast while you're driving your car and you're kind of doing something useful, Um, although you could be just listening to random blokes talk about electric vehicles. Just on short on this, the other day I was, I I drove to work and I thought, okay, I'm going to do this in fully autonomous. Yeah. Where we live up here, they're taking out a roundabout and they're building a three-lane roundabout. Yeah. Between one night and the next night, they moved the cones and opened a new road. Yeah, I was caught unawares by it. It was yeah. a sharp left, which wasn't there. Yeah. As I then got down to the Tyne Tunnel toll booth, somebody didn't have any credit on yeah. their card, and they were coming backwards towards me <laughs> to then yeah. go a left across everybody else to get to the change machine to get some money. Yeah. So who's going to build the algorithms in the artificial intelligence for every single scenario like that? Yeah, it's a big, um, it's definitely, there's a lot of work to do. It's a yeah. big task. And I think the testing of all those scenarios for a French tool booth, an English tool booth, an Irish tool booth yeah. is going to be a long, a long way off. Yeah. So what's next then? So for you, next few years at Zero Carbon Futures and for Colin, what, what do you sort of see the next kind of uh, big things that you're going to be working on being? I think for the next, till 2025, 
I think it's preparation for transition. Right. And I think that's where we'll be in two years. Hopefully, I'll be slightly retired by then. <laughs> but I think we are in more of a transition mode than we think we are. Right. Right. Do you, do you feel like people are not preparing enough yet and there's more to be done? I think the market is and the publicity is ahead okay. of where we really are. Right. Okay. And I think there's a lot of catching up to be done. And I think the diesel situation is going to slow it down yeah. while we transition from diesel to petrol to hybrid to BEV. And I think the car companies have got their minds on something else at the moment. I don't think the... I've got one famous slide I use in one of the presentations. In 2014, I've got about six countries that forecast by 2020 they would have between them 4.3 million vehicles on the road. Wow. Mm. They've got 300,000 now. Right. I think that's a huge change. It's a huge change. Mm. Because the aspirations and the targets they set were basically, well, we'll politically say it's going to happen, therefore it will happen. Yeah. And the car company said, mm, quietly, <laughs> yeah. no. <laughs> it can't happen that way. Yeah. And it's strange now, even though you point out that the... the the Nissan Sunland plant makes 50,000. That's yeah. it. Yeah. That people keep saying, oh, but if, if we have a zero emission zone, they'll make more. Yeah. You know, no, they can only make 50,000 batteries. Yeah. That's it. You need to build another battery plant and that Is can't it? happen or, overnight. Or whatever. Yeah. yeah. But we still have politicians and people saying, I don't care. Yeah. If we legislate, we'll get more vehicles. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's an interesting one. Um, I think the legislation's definitely helped. Oh, it's got to help. It, it's, it's what's going to drive it. Yeah. But I, I just wish the politicians would sit back and say, okay, we need a transition. Yeah. And the demonising of the diesel, yeah. I think, was a fatal mistake. And they're still doing it. Right. And it upset the market. Yeah. So the companies that we want to invest in EV are mm. trying... Are with or spending so much money rapidly trying to get out of diesel that yeah. they could have spent transitioning away from diesel. Yeah, into EVs. Yeah, it's, that's that's really interesting. Uh, that's that's a whole topic in itself. That's really interesting. Okay, right. Well, thank you. That's um, we've we've spent loads of time there. Really interesting. Thanks very much. Um, if if people want to find out more about zero carbon futures, how do they find website, you? Website, website, which zero-carbon-futures.co.uk, and you are very active on LinkedIn and I'm social media and things. Yeah, so if they look for Colin Heron, they'll find you. Oh, on LinkedIn. Yeah. Oh yes. <laughs> Great. Okay. Thanks, Colin. Thanks for coming today. Pleasure. Okay, so that's all for today. Um, I really hope you've enjoyed the podcast. If you have, uh, don't forget to subscribe to our channel um, or hit like, leave us a review um, and, and uh, also send us any questions that you might have that you want answering. So we're starting to get questions coming in. We're doing specific podcasts related to questions that we're getting from people. So don't be shy. Send us your questions, anything you'd like to know that you think we could help with and we'll try and put it into a podcast episode. So that's all for, from me for today uh, and I look forward to speaking to you again soon.